Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Uh, But we're going to start in Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 17. We'll read it together. It says, Now as he was going out on the road, uh, one came running and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what shall I do? Uh, that I may inherit eternal life. So this man that approaches Jesus, Scripture actually calls him the young rich ruler. If there's something that I want to be called in Scripture, it would probably be that title, the young rich ruler, all right? That's probably the coolest title you can find. But Scripture describes him as a young rich ruler who goes up to Jesus' feet and kneels before him, verse 18. It says, so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. But do you know the commandments? He said, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, uh, do not defraud. Um, Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, I've done all these things. I have kept them from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, Scripture says he loved him. Everybody say loved him. And here's what's powerful about Jesus, that he looked at this rich young ruler, and in his ignorance, in his arrogance, he could have called him out, but he says he looked at him, and he loved him. I want to encourage somebody tonight. I don't know where you find yourself at, but God doesn't look at you and then is disappointed about you. God doesn't look at you and say, man, why did I create him or her? No, God looks at you no matter where you're at, no matter where you find yourself tonight, no matter what kind of mess you've gotten yourself in, God looks at you and he loves you. He looks at you, and he loves you. As we continue with scripture, it says, and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Here's the title for tonight. I think I just made this title because um, I think it's just a fun one to, to tell your neighbor. But turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, get over yourself. Ah, uh, man, I felt some therapy in this room. Say, neighbor, get over yourself. Come on, that's the title for tonight's message. Get over yourself. Man, I already felt a breakthrough in this room already. Come on, guys, let's pray over service together. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this house, God. We thank you, Father, that we are here, God, not on accident, but on assignment. We're not here by coincidence, God, but we have been brought to this place, God, by your Holy Spirit to experience a love unspeakable, a grace untainable, God, that's given unto us, God. And so, Father, we give you all the glory and we give you all the praise. We thank you for the miracles, signs, and wonders that's going to take place. We thank you, God, for open minds and soft hearts that we're here to hear from you, Jesus. We're here to get more of your word and more of your peace. So have your way in this place tonight. Have your way in this atmosphere, God. And God, we give you all the glory and praise ahead of time. We love you, Jesus. And everybody says, amen, amen. Come on, give Jesus a hand clap of praise tonight, and y'all can be seated. Y'all can be seated. Some of y'all might know or, or may or may not know, but um, I'm a recent dad um, of the last couple weeks. Thank you, thank you. She, our daughter, Sayla, is actually going to be two weeks old tomorrow. Here's a picture of her. 
You know, I threw that up there because, A, I just like to brag about her, okay, you know, especially to the people I love, my church family. Um, but my, she's turning two weeks tomorrow, and um, let me just tell, to say this about fatherhood. I've, I've always wanted to be a dad. I, like, you know, since I've been young, like, I always wanted to be a dad. I had a, I had a great dad growing up, and so I just wanted to provide that for my children as well. And, and it, this past two weeks, even though I haven't gotten a lot of sleep and even though it's, you know, been a little bit tiring, these last two weeks have really been the most fun I've ever had in my life. And, and having, a, having, a, having a child has been so fulfilling. But um, if there's something I've learned about a newborn is that they are not self-sufficient. <laughs> uh, they cannot do anything on their own. Uh, Sailor right now is very reliant upon Haley and I. Uh, to feed her, to protect her, to take care of her, to make sure that there's nothing getting to her. Um, quite literally, we cannot let her leave our sight or our arms. And, um, uh, and you know, we're really taking advantage of that time because everybody tells us, hey, this time doesn't last forever, right? Because I know there will come a day where she'll be more independent. Um, I'm hoping that day is pushed farther and farther along. Um, but I know there will be a time when she'll become more independent, but as for right now, as, as, as a child, she's very dependent upon her father and her mother, and she relies on us for everything that she needs. Uh, Jesus kind of gives a spiritual parallel to this in Matthew chapter 18, um, when he really... The context for this scripture is that in the previous verse, um, verse 1, his disciples are asking him, uh, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Uh, he, they ask Jesus, who, who has the greatest title? Who has the greatest power? Who, has the, who, who, has, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And, and this is how Jesus responds to that question in verse 1. It says that Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth. Everybody say truth. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Man, that's some strong words, church family. He said, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So now is Jesus trying to tell us that we need to go back to our parents' house and get in a high chair and eat baby food? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying, but I believe what he is saying is that when we give our life to Christ, when we dedicate our life to him, we are to become like little children in the sense that we don't rely solely on ourselves anymore. We don't rely solely on our talents and abilities no longer, but now we have a Father in heaven that we need to rely on, that we need to know that he has all the power and authority, because if we become like little children, he says that is the greatest you can do in the kingdom. Because if we become reliant on him, we need to put our trust in Jesus, not in ourselves. See, like a little child, they will respond to the voice of their father without reservation, right? They will trust. They, they, they don't have to be convinced to follow after the voice of their father. They don't, have to, they don't have to do the math in their head and say, well, like, you know, we kind of get caught up in it now as adults. We've experienced too much life to, to think that things can just work out perfectly. And so what do we do? We begin to do the math in our head, right? And we're like, well, God, I know you said that, but you're not thinking about this. I don't know if you're aware about that. I don't know if you're thinking about all the needs I have and how is that going to be met by me doing what you want me to do. But when you live in life with a faith like a child, when God, your father, says something, you don't need an explanation. 
You don't need God to say, hey, uh, I'm telling you this, and here's X, Y, and Z, and let me give you the, the, all the plans so you can be, uh, have all this firmly knowing that it's no. Right when God speaks, we should follow. Say, God, you don't have to say anything else because you are my father and I am your child. And like a little children to, his, to their father, I'm going to respond out of obedience. It's because, see, a child cannot survive without their parents or someone looking after them. They need their protection. They, they need their parents' wisdom. They need their parents' provision. In the same way, you and I, although we may be adults uh, in the physical and spiritually speaking, we need our Father in heaven. We will never reach a place where we don't need his protection. We will never reach a place where we don't need his grace. We will never reach a place where we will never need his peace. Matter of fact, we need more of Jesus, not less of him. And so what we're going to be going into tonight, because if we're not careful, we can fall into a trap of being solely reliant on ourselves. We can become so reliant on ourselves that we can even convince ourselves, maybe subconsciously, not even knowing it, and maybe we'll never admit it, but we will be so reliant on ourselves that we're saying, we don't need God no longer. I have materialistic things. I have uh, a good amount in the bank account. I, I have all these things. There's no need for me to need something from God because I have everything I need here on earth. If we're not careful, we can fall into that trap. Uh, there is a, a, a book that is really, um, that is really an, an atheist uh, manifesto or journal or, or call uh, to, to bring people together. And, and this book is called um, Outgrowing God. And in this book, it's geared towards young people. And basically what this book tries to tell people is that we don't no longer need God. We just need ourselves. We no longer need, we don't need, we don't need God. The book's trying to say we just need ourselves, that, that we just need money, fame, and possessions. And people actually call this the gospel of self-sufficiency, saying that you can be your own savior. You don't need a savior. If you're self-sufficient enough, if you make enough money, if you get enough friends, if you get enough possessions, you can save yourself. You don't need God anymore. You can outgrow God of what they're trying to say. But see here, let me tell somebody, if, if you don't know this, there will never come a point where you will have enough money in the bank to where your sins will be saved. There will never reach a point where you have enough degrees behind your name where you don't need the identity of God to be placed upon your heart. There will never be a time where we will ever be a point. There will never be a, any works that we could accomplish that will outweigh the grace of God. But we're going to always need his blood. We will always need what he has for us. We will always need... The equipment that God has been given us. See, we can't get caught up in self-sufficiency because Jesus said it like this, what profits a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? What profits you and I to gain everything that the world has to offer but for us to still end in the depths of hell because we didn't accept the message of Jesus? What's the point of having all those things if they fade away? But see, what we got to focus on is say, I, I don't want to fall in that trap. You see, we cannot save ourselves, but we require a Savior. There's not an amount of money that can save ourselves. There's not an amount of works that can save ourselves. But it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
While we're yet stuck in the mud, Christ died for us. While we're still in the, in the thick of sin and our iniquities, Christ went to the earth and died for us to save us from our sins, to pay a price that money can't buy, so that way you and I could enjoy the grace and the peace of God. That way that when he went to Calvary, he, know, he not only defeated death, he defeated hell and the grave, so you and I could enjoy eternal with him in heaven. You and I have that opportunity. It's all done through Jesus. It's not done, all done through Jesus. It's not done through works. It's not done because we have all this esteem and we have all, this, all these possessions. No, it's only done through the grace of God, through the gift that he's given us. That is why, that is the greatest gift that we can hold. It's not materialistic things. It's not possessions. It's not something that the world has to offer. No, the greatest thing that we can hold is only what God has to offer, and that's his son, and that's Jesus, and that's the greatest gift of mankind could ever receive. Amen? Come on, if you believe that, give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Because Jesus is the greatest gift you and I could ever attain, and don't let anybody ever convince you otherwise. Because if you're not careful, someone will begin to whisper in your ear of saying, yeah, Jesus is great, but look at all these material things. And convince us that self-sufficiency is greater than the gospel of Jesus. But see, this leads us back to the scripture we open up with. And in the scripture, it opens up with a man who the scripture describes him as a rich, young ruler. Which I... It, really stuck out to me because those three things is what the world says you need to be fulfilled, right? Those three things is exactly what the world says. Hey, have these things and you have everything, right? The world says have money. Well, he was rich. The world says you need to have great health. Well, he was young, right? The world says you need popularity. Well, guess what? He was a ruler, all right? Everybody knew about this man. And so when you read the scripture, have the context of knowing that he's exactly the epitome of self-sufficiency. He's the exact replica that everybody will try to make their life after how the world says to have. He has all the things that the world has to offer. If we look back at verse 17, it says this. It says, now as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt. Everybody say knelt. And knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do? Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, what shall I do? What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? See, this man who is self-sufficient and has every materialistic thing that anybody could ever want, he approaches Jesus and he uses these words to say, hey, what can I do? What can I uh, do to work towards? What can I do to attain? Because he's so used to getting things and him doing things on his own. He says, Jesus, what can I do? See, the focus of his question was really on himself, not on Jesus. The focus on, of his question was saying, hey, what can I do to get what you have? What can I do to reap eternal life? See, he thought receiving eternal life was a matter of this earning materialistic things. He thought that receiving eternal life was a matter of works, not relationship. But what I think is funny is that he didn't realize that him just kneeling before Jesus, that was the closest he'll ever get to salvation than money could ever buy. Him is going towards Jesus and kneeling on his knees. That's the greatest thing that he could ever done to say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm kneeling before you. This is something that money can't buy, that esteem can't get you. He was kneeling before Jesus. 
But see, he was more caught up in what and thinking about the things that he could do that he was missing the point and the question that it's not about what we can do, it's what Jesus can give. See, if we're not careful, we can get caught up in the trap of self-sufficiency and be more worried about what we can do instead of what God can do for us. See, our first response always has to be not what we can do. Our first response always has to be, hey, what can God do about this situation? Our first response when something goes wrong shouldn't be, hey, uh, where can I go in the world to find the answer? No, the, our first response when something goes wrong should for us to say, hey, how can I worship through this, not worry about it? How can I get to a place where I'm staring towards heaven, not looking at the things around me, but instead looking to our eternal things to find my answer? Our first response when we have questions is shouldn't for us to go and look up a podcast, right? Our first response is say, I'm going to prayer. Because I'm not looking at these materialistic things to find an eternal answer. No, I want to go straight to who has all the answers, and that's the name of Jesus. I'm not going to look at people. I'm not going to look at all these things. I'm not going to be relying on my own knowledge. No, I'm going to rely on Christ. See, let us not put more, put more trust in these tools than we have and do put our trust in God. This is what 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 4 says. It says, and we have such trust to Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient. Everybody say sufficient. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Come on, give God a shout of praise if you know that all things come from him, not from our works, but he enables us to do everything. See, true sufficiency comes from God. True peace comes from God, not money. True joy comes from God, not us getting all these possessions. True sufficiency comes from God, not the trap of saying, hey, I provide for my own sufficiency so I don't need God's hand in my life. Don't fall for that trap because what the world will try to convince you of, once we experience a little bit of success, we will begin to think, hey, man, I'm starting to get good at this thing called life, right? Man, I'm getting some money in the bank, right? So maybe I need to rely more on that than I rely on Jesus. Maybe I need to more rely on those things that I do on Christ. And before we know it, we can't even remember when the last time we prayed for God for something. Because every time we need something, where do we go? We go to what we have, not what God offers. And we don't realize that we're selling for so much less and because we're convinced that we're doing our best, but we're missing out on what God has for us. Because we're convinced that if we're pulling from the things of our own self-sufficiency, then we're doing the best that we can, can do. But can, let me tell you this. God can do way more things with what you have than what you can do on your own. Because let me, let me give you this a word of encouragement. If you're one of those people who are extremely self-sufficient, who are saying, hey, I'm a self-made man or a self-made woman. I don't, I've done everything on my own. Let me give you a word of encouragement. Imagine what God can do with all those things that you have. Because look at all the things that you've done on your own. Now imagine if you applied those things towards God. Imagine if you made God the captain of your ship. Imagine if you let God take what all that you have. Imagine what God can do with the things that are around you. See, imagine that. Because if we just rely on self-sufficiency, let me tell you, you're going to miss on God's best. Here's point number one for tonight. Self-sufficiency is a cheap substitute for the promises of God. Self-sufficiency is a cheap substitute for the promise of, 
of God. Don't get convinced in a moment and think that you have achieved so many things on your own that you don't need any more of what God has to offer. And say, God, I'm good. I have a nice this and I have a nice that. I have a big house or I have all these things. I don't need any more of the blessings that you have to offer. Let me say this. God has so many things beyond our imagination. God has so many things beyond our capability. God will blow your mind with the things that he can do for you. God will take you on a journey when you begin to follow after him and say, God, I didn't even know these things were possible. And here's the awesome part, too. I didn't know that these were the things I needed. Because only God knows the things that you need. Has there anybody ever tried to do something on their own and tried to avoid the whole God thing? Say, hey, God, let me, let me just figure this out on my own real quick, right? Let me just figure this out on my own. And, and we, like, do it and we get by or we just barely get by. And then finally say, you know what, God, I'm just going to give it to you. And God does twice as much as you did in half the time. Like, man, why did I do this earlier? Because God knows exactly what you need and how you need it better than we do. But all we have to do is put trust in him, but not the trust in ourselves and not fall for the trap that all we need is our own abilities, not what God can provide for us. See, the world will try to convince us that the possessions we gain can outweigh the blessings that God can give. The world will try to convince us that if we think that if we get enough stuff and if we put enough degrees behind our name or whatever it is, that we won't need anything more from God. We can outgrow God. But let me say that is the biggest lie that the enemy tries to convince us of. See, because the enemy, here, here, here's what the enemy knows. Because a lot of times we think this, right? Hey, if I'm successful, that must be God's will, right? If, it's, if I'm succeeding, right, that must be exactly where God wants me to be. But here's where we miss it. Because the devil, he doesn't care if you're successful. Matter of fact, he almost wants you to be successful, but outside of the will of God. Because he says this, if I can get them to be successful outside of the will of God, they're, they're not going to change anything. They're going to stay where they're at. Because if they know that if I can just convince them that if they have a little bit of worldly possessions, then they don't need what God has to offer, then that's the trap of self-sufficiency. That's the trap of thinking that this having success must mean that I'm exactly where God wants me. But no, here's how you know where God wants you to be. That maybe, yes, you're having success or no, and things aren't going according to plan, but you have peace anyways. You have joy in your heart. You have a sense of identity that the world can't give. That even though you may not have all the things, but you have the peace on the inside, those are the things that only God can give. I know many people who have all the things that the world has to offer, like the rich young ruler, yet they can't find peace in their heart, yet they can't find joy to be found anywhere in their lives. Why? Because only those things come from God, and only those things can be received from him. Let us not fall into that trap. See, don't let anything ever stop us from receiving what God wants to give us. What God has to offer is far more valuable than what anything that the world has to offer. Because what God gives money can't buy. And what the God offers, the world doesn't own. But see, God owns the cattle on a thousand hill. God is the one who, who gives us things that only he can have, that only that he can offer, that has eternal value. But if you know that your God offers way more than what the world has to offer, well, give Jesus a shout of praise. Because we got to know that who we are in Christ is not getting from the world, but it's getting what God wants us to have. Jesus then tells this man, he, he asks, what must I do? And then Jesus begins to describe some of the commandments and the, and the laws of Moses to uh, the rich young ruler. But in verse 20, he, 
he answers him and he says to, says to Jesus, he says, teacher, I, I, I've done all these things and I have kept them from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, he said, one thing you lack. Everybody say lack. He said, one thing you lack. He said, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure. Everybody say treasure. You will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. Jesus told him, hey, there's one thing you lack. So sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. Now, does that mean that we're supposed to sell all of our possessions and sell everything we have? No, I don't, I don't believe so unless God tells you to. But the reason why God told that man to do that, the reason why Jesus instructed him to do that is because he wasn't after his money. He was after his heart. And he knew that the, what his heart was connected to was towards his wealth, was towards his titles, was towards all the things, the possessions he had. So he knew the only way to get to this man's heart was to get the possessions out of the way. And so that's why he told him, hey, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you can take up your cross and follow after me. Because right now, your gospel isn't the name of Jesus. It's self-sufficiency, and you're relying more on yourself than you ever could God, and that is what his heart was connected to. So it doesn't mean that we're supposed to sell everything we have, because Jesus isn't after that. He's after our heart. You know what Jesus could have done? See, I think this is why I wasn't Jesus. You know what Jesus could have done? He could have looked at this rich young ruler who was desperate for what Jesus had to offer, and he could have said this. is okay. You want to reap eternal life? Well, then give me X amount of money, right? Give me X amount of stuff. Because Scripture says that Jesus, he said, the, the birds have nests, foxes have dens, but the Son of Man had nowhere to, to rest his head, right? So Jesus didn't have a lot of things. His disciples didn't have a lot of things. So he could have looked at this man and used it as a way to get possessions from him, money from him, and say, give me all, this, all these things, give me all this money, and then I will give you eternal life. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said this, sell everything you have, because I don't want your money, I want your heart. I'm not worried about what you have to offer. I'm worried about where your soul is. I'm worried about what your soul is doing right now. See, this is what Jesus, this is what the message makes it so different. Jesus doesn't want anything from you. He doesn't look at you and say, I want your talent. He doesn't look at you and say, I want your abilities. He doesn't look at you and say, I want your money. He says, I want your heart. See, the world's concerned. The world is always worried about what you have. The world's worried about what kind of money's in your bank account. The world's worried about all those titles, but Jesus doesn't get caught up in that. He said, I don't care what you have. I don't care what you offer. I don't care your talents and abilities. What I care about is are you willing to, to pick up the cross and follow after me? That's what I'm worried about. That's what I want you to do. That's what I want you to follow. I'm not worried about what's in, what, how all the things you have. I'm worried about your hearts. Jesus said, sell all your things and give to the poor and pick up your cross and follow after me. See, Jesus, he's not after what we have. He's not after our talents, our abilities. He's after our hearts. Because see, the world values us by who we are, who we hang out with, what we have, right? The world values us by materialistic things, by possessions, uh, right? That's why Instagram and Facebook, that's why as soon as we get something, what we do? Post it, right? Because we want to post our value, right? We want to post what we think we're, what we're worth, don't look around. But we'll see what Jesus is concerned about. Jesus doesn't look at us and says, this is so-and-so with a nice car. 
Jesus doesn't look at this, hey, this is so-and-so with a really cool job. Or Jesus doesn't look and say, hey, this is so-and-so, and he has X amount in his bank account. He looks at us, and he doesn't value us and define us by materialistic things. He looks at us and says, that's my son. That's my daughter. Period. He doesn't look at you and say, hey, because you have this, you're higher in the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't look at you and say, because you have this type of vehicle, you have more weight in the kingdom of heaven. No, he says, that's my son. That's my daughter. It doesn't matter what's around them. All that matters is what's inside of them. And if my name's on their heart, they have all the value that they could ever require or need. See, Jesus doesn't look after all those things. Jesus says, are you willing to pick up your cross and follow after me? See, Jesus looked at this man who had everything, and he, and, he, and he looked at him, and this is, again, why I love Jesus, because I think he's, you know, he's God, first of all, so he knows what he's going to say and all this. But he looks at this rich young ruler and says, you have all these things, but you lack one thing. And I'm sure the rich young ruler was like, like, he got like really, like he leaned in, he gets excited, because he's thinking to himself this. He says, look, if I lack anything, man, I got the money to buy it. You name what I lack, man, shoot, I'll have it tomorrow. What do I lack? Tell me what I lack. Tell me what I need. And that's the same kind of life we live, right? The world says we need this. We say, tell me what it is. Tell me what it is, world. I can buy it. What do I need? That new pair of shoes or I need that, that new vehicle? Whatever it is, tell me what it is and I can buy What do I lack? But Jesus looked at this rich young ruler and said, you lack one thing. And he leans in, right, thinking that Jesus is about to say, you need a bigger cart, right? Or you need a better house, whatever. But he leaned in. He said, you know what you lack? What you lack is that you don't lack. That's your problem. What you lack is that you don't lack anything. So therefore, you think you have everything. That's your problem. And that's why he told that rich young ruler to sell everything he has. Because he told him that because says, the problem that you have is that you don't lack anything. You think you have everything under control. You think that you're your own God, really, in your own mind because you have everything that the world has to offer. And I'm sure everybody's telling how great the rich young ruler is. I'm sure nobody ever tells him anything flaws about him, right, because they just want something from him, right? That's what the world tries to do. But God looked at him and said, if there's one thing you lack is that you don't lack anything. You think you have everything. He said, sell the things, sell everything that you have, and give it to the poor. Because he said this, see, this is what Jesus was trying to communicate to him. He says, do not rely on the possessions of the world, but on the provision of my words. You've been relying on the possessions you have, but now it's time for you to rely on the words out of my mouth. And if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to do that, if, you're really, if you really say you trust me, because a lot of people say they trust God, right? A lot of people say they trust God, but not many people rely on him. A lot of people say, I trust you, God. But as soon as it comes to point in time to rely on God for something, like, God, let me figure this out on my own, all right? Let me, let me, let me you know, I got some, let me figure this out, right? Because relying on God is uncomfortable. Point number two is this. In the form of a question, how can we say we trust God if we do not rely on him? How can we say we trust God if we do not rely on him? Because, see, it's fun to say we trust God, but it takes faith to rely on God. It's fun to say, God, I trust you, but when he says, okay, come and follow after me, and you're not going to know what the future looks like, well, God, that's too far now, all right? Just let me come on church on Sundays and Wednesdays, right? Don't, don't, don't tell me anything else, right? 
But see, it's for us to rely on God. That's the truest form of trust. Saying, God, I want to rely on, I don't want to rely on myself. I don't want to just rely on my own. I don't want to just rely on the, what the world has to offer. I want to rely on you. And that's what Jesus is asking us tonight. So are we willing to step out by faith, even if it means our bank account might look a little uncomfortable? Are we willing to step out by faith, even if it means if we might be a little bit unknown about our future? Are we willing to step out by faith and say, God, I'm going to rely on you for this season? Are we willing to do that? You're going to ask yourself that tonight. You got to say, am I willing, God, to rely on you? Because it's easy to say to trust him. It's very difficult to rely on him. It's easy to say, God, I'll follow you anywhere, but it's hard to rely on him. But see, the reason why we get uncomfortable is because we get so caught up in having all the things that we have that we begin to think that falling after God might be less than what we have, right? That if we do it God's way, I might not even have as much as I have now, and we get confused, and we get scared, and we get uncomfortable. But let me tell you this. God can do way more things, way more uh, Things that he has to offer, promises, way more than what he has than what we have to offer, ever. God can do way more with way less. God can do way more things. He can do so many things for us, and he doesn't require anything from us. He just needs our obedience. He just needs us to step out. Because here's the thing. We might see ourselves and say, hey, I'm really self-sufficient right now. But just because you're self-sufficient doesn't mean you're God-efficient. That's two totally different things. Just because you're saying, hey, I'm doing everything on my own and I'm doing good, there is so many greater things that God can be doing on the inside of us, through us, and for us. Because when we are self-sufficient, sometimes we just draw a circle around ourselves and say, I, I just want to take care of myself. But what God's plan for all of us is not just to draw a circle around ourselves, but it's saying, hey, how can I help my brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I make a difference in the world? How can I go out and begin to speak the name of Jesus? How can I make a difference? How can I make a difference, not just physically, but spiritually, eternally, things that actually matter. How can I get out of the trap of materialistic things? And God, I want to focus on eternal things. That is what God wants us to do. Because on the other side of that obedience, that's where the overflow is. There's been many times in my life, and I'm sure your life as well, I'm sure there's many testimonies in this house to where we had a decision to make. A fork came in the road where it says, hey, am I going to rely on myself right now or am I going to rely on God? Am I, am I going to follow after what is safe in my own mind, or I'm going to be obedient to where God is calling me? And if you ever made that decision and trusted God and relied on him, then you have a testimony, I guarantee it. And I guarantee that testimony is this. Where God has taken me is nowhere where I could have done myself. Where God has brought me out of is where I couldn't have brought myself out of. What God is doing through me by me saying yes to him, that's nowhere near what I could have done on my own. That is what Jesus has to offer. It's way greater than what we could ever do on our own. Turn to your neighbor say, it's time to rely on God. It's time to rely on God. Following scripture, we're almost done, guys. Verse 22, Mark chapter 10, verse 22. It says, when he heard this, when the rich young ruler who has everything that the world has to offer, he says, but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful. Everybody say sorrowful. He went away sorrowful, for he, for he had great possessions. This man had everything that the world said he needed, yet he went away sad and sorrowful. The question I ask myself sometimes is, have you ever wondered why celebrities and athletes, musicians, rappers, whoever, whatever you want to think of, 
Ever wondered why they have the highest rates of depression and suicide? Ever thought about that? Because they live the life that the world says you're supposed to live to be happy, right? The, the world, they live the life that the world says, hey, do you want to have happiness and fulfillment? Live this life like a celebrity. Live the life of, a, of an athlete or a musician or whatever it is. But imagine living that life and still feeling empty. Imagine having all the things that the world says you need to be happy. Imagine having all the money, all the friends, all the esteem. Imagine having all those things, and yet you still feel empty on the inside. I guarantee you will get depressed real quickly because there's nowhere else you can turn. You say, well, I have all the money. I have all the things. There's nowhere else I can add to myself, and that's where that depression and suicide comes from because they have nowhere else to turn. But see, we have a greater calling upon our lives than possessions. We have a greater calling on our lives than materialistic things. And what we have is the gift of Jesus, and only Jesus can fill that void. Money can't fill that void. There is no way that possessions can fill that void. Come on, somebody. If there's a void that you have in your life, stop looking for the world for it, but go to the Word for it, and you're going to find fulfillment in the name of Jesus. You're going to find what you're looking for. Don't be caught up in the trap of thinking, hey, if I could just have more stuff and more this and more that. No, we need more of Jesus, and that's what's going to find our fulfillment. Amen? See, only Jesus can fill, fulfill that void. See, but it wasn't that this rich young ruler, it wasn't that he was unwilling to grab a hold of what was new. Where he, he asked Jesus, how can I receive eternal life? It wasn't that he was unwilling to grab a hold of the new. It's that he was unwilling to let go of the old. He said, wait, 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 wait. It's going to cost me something to get into the kingdom of heaven? Well, well, it means I have to let go of an old lifestyle to get into the kingdom of heaven? Well, well I got to let go of some old habits to get into the kingdom of heaven? Well, I got to let go of some old friends that weren't good for me to get into the kingdom of heaven? Well, I got to let go of some old messed up stuff that I'm used to, that I'm sufficient in to get into the kingdom of heaven? Yep. Turn to your neighbor and say, yep. Because for us to step into what is new, we always have to let go of the old. For us to step into what God has for us, we always have to step out of the old. This is what Matthew chapter 10, verse 39 says. It says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, but you will find it. See, the more we try to hang on to this world, the more we try to hang on to the possessions, the more we try to attach our, our value to the materialistic things, the more we try to play this, this rat race, right, called life, where we just try to compete against each other and say who's greater than one another. The more we try to do that, the more we will lose ourselves. The more we will find ourselves in messed up situations. But the moment we stop trying to find ourselves in the world and start trying to lose ourselves in God, say, God, I want to lose myself in your love. I want to lose myself in your grace. I'm not trying trying to find myself in the world. I'm trying to lose myself in the word and what you have for me. Point three for tonight is this, is that we're not called to find ourselves in the world, but to lose ourselves in the word. We're not called to look for these things that the world says to, to assign yourself to that we need materialistically. No, we're assigned ourselves. Our calling is to find ourselves in the word of God and what God says we are. Because let me tell you this right now. If you're struggling with identity, if you're, if you're struggling with things coming against you, and you're struggling with the depression or feeling less because of what the world says, you see, the world will try to tell us many things about who we are. And I don't know if you've been keeping up with, with anything that's going on in the world, but it's a crazy time right now. And right now is not a time to allow the world to assign you to something because they don't even know, right? The definitions are always changing. 
But see, that's why we're not supposed to disalign ourselves with what the world says we are and let them give you our identity or our value. No, we're supposed to assign ourselves to what God says we are. Not our titles or talents. No, to what God says we are, who God says we are, that we are his special possession, his royal priesthood. We are the sons and daughters of God. We attach ourselves to that identity. I'm telling you, if you attach yourself to those words, to that foundation, if you attach yourself to that identity, you won't find yourself lost in the world. You won't find yourself looking for approval from people. You're not going to find yourself saying, hey, 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 so-and-so, hey, hey, political crowd, hey, who do you think I am? You're not going to find yourself saying that anymore. You're going to say, I know who I am in Christ. I know my value in Christ. I know who I am in Christ Jesus, and you can't convince me otherwise. That's the truth. Because the truth is this, we need God. Amen? Don't ever get caught up in the thought of saying, I'm so successful that I don't need God anymore. I'm so sufficient in myself that I don't need his blessings anymore. Or saying this, this is what I get hit, you know, what people get lost in is that when they first committed themselves to Christ, man, they needed Jesus, right? But then after some time, right, they say, well, I don't need to spend that much time in prayer anymore. Or I don't need to spend that much time, you know, reading God's word anymore. I, I've gotten pretty good at this thing. No, we will always need more of Jesus. We'll never come to a place where we outgrow our, outgrow our need for God. We'll never come to a place where we think we've made it so far that we don't need the grace of God anymore. We'll never reach a place. And if somebody tells you this, you, well, first of all, keep it to yourself. All right, never mind. No, I'm not going to say that. You just pray for them. But if someone comes up to you and say, I've been going to church so long, I've been a Christian so long, you don't need to pray that much anymore. You don't need to do this that much anymore. You don't need to, you don't need to read your word that much anymore. You better not listen to that advice because they're lost on their own. You need to find yourself in Jesus. You need to find yourself in the word each and every day. Each and every day we find ourselves more and more in the word of God. Each and every day we're aligning ourselves more and more to what God wants for us. Because if there's something that I've learned, that the older I get, the more I realize I need more of Jesus, right? The more I read the word of God, I don't think, man, I'm great. I'm thinking, man, I need more of this, right? I need more of Jesus. The more I spend time in prayer, the more I realize, say, I need more of the presence of God. The more time I spend time in worship, I don't think that I need less of it. Say, God, man, I need more of this. Where can I find more time in my day? Where can I find more opportunities in my day? God, I need more of you, Jesus, not less. I never want to be so focused on myself that I forget about that I need more of Jesus. Amen? If you agree with that, stand to your feet. I'm closing. I'm going to close with James 4, 7. James 4, 7. It says this, therefore submit. Everybody say submit. Therefore submit to God and resist the devil. Amen. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I mean, and let me encourage you with this too. Don't think you're running from the devil. The devil's running from you. Okay? Because if, you if, you, if your mindset is this, is how can I avoid it? How can I do this? No, no, no. Look, know who you are in Christ. And if you do that, the devils are supposed to flee when we walk into the room. All right? The enemy is supposed to tremble in fear when we walk into the room, not the opposite. Okay? Know who you are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.